Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Drive Home. This week we have, this week we don't do it on a weekly basis, what am I talking about? Uh, this time, let's say time, we've got John Helps from the excellent Maybe She Will on to talk about his antics uh, whilst touring with the band, but also whilst being a tour manager for several other bands which he, well, uh, normally does for a living, uh, pandemic pending. This is the first time that we will be issuing a content warning before starting the podcast because, let me tell you, some of the stuff that we cover in this episode is a little bit on the harrowing side. So, um, if you are perhaps slightly, uh, I don't want to say weaker, but perhaps more sensitive to the darker content these podcasts have to offer, then... um, Please just bear with us throughout this one. You may want to sit it out. But without further ado, here is the new episode of The Long Drive Home. John, John, can you give us a little, a little song on your piano behind you as a little intro? Can you do that? I can't, I can't play the piano at all. Fucking hell, you've got a piano like that and you can't play it. Jesus. It belongs to... Um... So I store a bunch of stuff for bands. And as it was getting into winter, I was like, I'm not sure I want to leave this keyboard in. No. What is essentially a garage? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It looks a nice keyboard as well. Is it like a Nord, like sunk into a, a an oh, actual yeah, it's a Nord? Oh, yeah, hang it's on. A... I've seen what's going on there. Your your fireplace, yeah, <laughs> looks like an actual piano. Oh yeah, I thought, <laughs> I was thought a... so as well. I thought it was a. I thought it was like an upright. Oh, just the Nord sitting on its own. Oh, actually... you can keep it. You don't have to play as a tune. Then it's. Fine. <laughs> Any, there's loads of instruments in this room. I can't play any of them. To- oh. <laughs> Give us a song on that mixing desk. Give us a song on that Ellis Nine behind you there. <laughs> Sound. Um, John, you know the premise of this podcast, I assume. Yeah, I've been listening to back to some of your episodes to make sure I'm not on there as a as a promoter. <laughs> <laughs> and were you? I don't think so, but I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll work my way through the whole lot of them. And- I had um, I had I had Luke um, from Den Haag message me the other day. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah I I felt really bad. I said, "Listen, man, I know the show is shit, like, but it's not your fault." So, well, well he was know. a punter. This yeah. is a punter, not a promoter. So I thought he was right. a promoter. He was a punter. All oh, right, because he was. Yeah, Luke was. Yeah, yeah. So we're all right. We're Sorry. Yeah. Okay. You can edit that out. Sorry. I probably won't know. <laughs> Staying in there, all of them. Um. <laughs> So you've promised us bleakness, John, and uh, okay. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it because it's what the world needs right now. We all need a lift. We we had some good, some good news yesterday, so I'll bring it back down to back down to earth. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> could you um, tell us what what you've been filling your very valuable time with for the next for the last few months? Then, um, so my my day job's a tour manager, which will. I guess play into this this podcast fairly significantly, but um, obviously I can't work at all. So I've gone back to uni. Oh shit! Doing, what are you wow. studying? Uh, doing a master's in cultural events management. Wow! Cool. Um, it's the first lockdown was miserable, so I um, just decided I want something to set my brain to, and um, gone to yeah, gone back to uni. It's all right. Cool, Mark. Have you started? It's, have you started like this September then, or whenever it was? Yeah, yeah. I'm in my first term, doing um. It's, yeah, it's only one year, so um, 
just a little break from the real world for a bit. You're not you're not the first person we know that's uh, thinking about doing that, and it seems like I think for a lot of people in arts and like certainly in live events and stuff, it's it's not the worst idea in the world, really. Um, yeah, it's taken a bit of juggling money wise, but if you can sort of coast on that student loan and if you have bits of government support then might as well do some training of yeah some... yeah that's smart good good move sir um Cheers. so go on then regale us <laughs> we'd, we'd, to be honest john we'd like it to progressively get worse so if you could yeah. save your best to last i figured i mean that would be amazing I don't want to completely straight <laughs> away no yeah, um, no wants to be like a ben wheatley film that just gets more and more depressing as it goes along yeah hopefully i can get i can pitch that that arc correct <laughs> i uh i messaged the guys from maybe she will yesterday and i, was, I said what, what we were going to do today and asked them to remind me of all that, like less less bleak in in a way experience oh. early touring by the way by the way before before we kick off no one's done an intro Ben, we never do you, intros mate. anyway. Or Tom, it's the cold open. Is that what you? <laughs> I, th- I think but, we're very much just we're we're, we're in now. We're by in. The way, yeah. By the way, everyone, we've we've, we've got uh, John helps from uh, maybe she will. <laughs> that's, Brilliant. That's, thank that's, you. That's, <laughs> sounded like a nineteen seventies radio presenter, like Tony Blackburn or something. Pretty well, cool. up next. Anyway, yeah, John, you were mid flow. Greg rudely <laughs> cut across you. Oh, thank you. So we, we we were all uh, uh, the best thing about maybe she was sort of not really been a band for about four years and the best thing about when I see the guys from the band is being reminded of all the really shit times. Years, <laughs> 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 it's like it, I think in um, any like time we meet up, that is it inevitable that at some point we start reminiscing about memorable gigs and all the memorable ones are. The really bad ones. <laughs> uh, we played a show in Milan, and the only thing that anyone remembers from this gig is that there was no no rider. And at this point, I don't I don't know. This sounds incredibly not not necessarily arrogant, but like <laughs> we were getting riders in places. Yeah. yeah. How dare you? <laughs> it was almost like we were, we were expecting a rider. But this promoter said that we could have one one beer before we went on stage and one beer when we came off. Mm-hmm. That was Great. Ooh, and the, the best thing about it is we didn't get the one when we came off stage. Oh, that's the one you really want, though. That's the important one. We'd obviously like tried to argue it and been like, please, can you just give us a case of beer or, or something? There's like six of us in the in the touring party at that point, and he he just gave us one beer and then fucks off. <laughs> <Didn't go. laughs> I've got a memory of standing in the street outside the venue trying to like find him to get, <laughs> I, I imagine there was a fee involved as well. I don't mm. think I just hung around just, just for, that for a second. beer. <laughs> it might have been like a, a matter of principle that we were going to stay and, and, and wait for him to turn up. Um, we did. <laughs> Yeah, who I don't want to rush through these too quickly, but <laughs> we've got ages, man. Go for it. Cool. <laughs> um, we played a show and we did a fly in sort of a festival. It was one of our first, like, quite big shows. And it was with uh, there was another band playing above us. I'm going to try not to name anyone 
<laughs> be in any way offended by this. Um, <laughs> but we the, we played this festival, um, and then stayed in a hotel. And the next morning, we woke up and we were oh no, it's the, the following evening. We were getting picked up from the hotel. And we were going to be taken to the airport by the festival organisers. But they'd come and they'd picked up the headline act before us. And the same guy was going to drive them, come back, pick us up, and take us to the airport. I think we were like, not on the same flights, but they were going at the same time. But they were going early enough. It was like, it's going to be fine. And then we sat in the lobby of this hotel for three hours. Oh, <laughs> um, and we've always like tour managed ourselves and, and stuff. And, but I think this was early enough on that we hadn't like really got the confidence to be like, something's going wrong here. I should probably intervene now. So we sat there, had, had a very long sit. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of those on tour. Right. At some point rang the, rang the front and said, look, if, if this guy doesn't get it soon, we're going to miss the flight. And, um, I think the guy had like gone home. He'd not bothered to come back. Oh, no. So then it took even longer for him to come and get us. And then he was absolutely belting it out of Athens up towards the airport. And just, we were just watching the clock go down, down, down. It was about half an hour before the flight was going to leave. We get there and obviously they weren't less bored. They weren't even less check in. Oh, shit. Oh. So... So is, is 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 this at the end? Is it the, like the last date of your tour, or are you going well, somewhere else afterwards? It's like a fly-in for one show. Oh, sorry, one show. Sorry. Yeah. Um, everyone had got like we'd had a day hanging around the hotel before we flew back, and a day when the when the show was on. And um, I think we were offered the opportunity to like go and stay at this guy's house because they weren't going to pay for another hotel room, even though it's like their their fault that this had happened. I guess partly ours for not not bothering to phone anyone. <laughs> this is going horribly wrong. Can someone come and rescue us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we not just. I think everyone was like, "No, we're gonna, just going to wait here and go on the next flight or the next." I think we we could be standby passengers and they'd put us on any flight that left. And we ended up sleeping in Athens Airport overnight. Oh, just on- oh, oh fucking wow. Um. Yeah, I mean, by the morning, we were like, probably should have gone to that guy's house. It would have been fine. Um, <laughs> but at the time when we were like, you know, I imagine none of us had ever missed a flight before. And it's like, need to fix this now somehow. Yeah. And the best way to do that feels like being at the airport. Um, so that was miserable. <laughs> it's like, um, it feels like you, you probably just dropped into some sort of like, almost like panic, like damage uh, limitation mode. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I know that feeling. Uh, in fact, I experienced it very recently when I got exposed to COVID nineteen, actually, and we all <laughs> got very like, "What do we do? We need to do this." Well, that means I'm going to have to stay here in Bristol for the rest of the month, and it's like, well, that's <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Like that, that's that 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 feels like the sensible way to think about something at the time, but actually, when you reflect on it, you go, "Ah, oh, no, that was that was dumb. That was not the way to do that." Um, I think. I think I'd, with probably 10 years of experience now, I would have, wouldn't deal with it in the same way. But at the time, yeah, like you say, sometimes just in the heat of that moment, we've got to make a decision about how you fix this. You just want to be where the problem is fixable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did the promoter 
pay for a new flight for you home? What what happened there? No, and I think again, this is like not really being a very experienced band at the time. I think we, I was like, I can be a right dickhead. <laughs> it carries on to this day. I'm sure it will come up in more of these stories. <laughs> but, um, at least you're honest, mate. I think I'm just like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, the only way to fix this is to like throw my weight around, <laughs> which is not like a character trait that I'd attribute to me at any other point. But at that, I just like, obviously like went to the room and said, your guy is the reason that we missed this flight. We had to get back the next day. So I think we managed to get almost all of us just on a flight on the next like easy jet flight back. And they said it didn't cost any more, but I had to fly back via, I think Finland. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cause it was like the next, the next flight from Athens to East Midlands or wherever it was. Just went from Finland. Fucking hell. Now that's a, that's a direct route. <laughs> I don't know. Put me on, I imagine. But um, yeah, I think I was like trying to get this guy to pay the like 150 quid or whatever it was that the, fl- the flight cost. And I think he's actually like a pretty pretty good promoter in Greece. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, now we've got a very good friend who puts us on over there. But for a while, we couldn't, for the life of us, get back to play a show <laughs> in Greece. <laughs> Sully so, your good name. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's happened a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason we're um, the reason we're not allowed back in Dundee, but that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's Greg's fault, you know. Seriously, what yeah. happened? What happened yeah. Oh, oh Greg, every, just everything happened. <laughs> we no, just well, played, like... problem. Sorry, we're doing that thing. We talk over each other. It's largely Sorry. my fault. Um, Go, Tom. Uh, well, Greg managed to basically personally upset the entire population of Dundee by um, slagging them in. Cock out, you're all right. <laughs> slagging them in a in an interview that that Greg did, and and we've actually got some mates that live in Dundee that were quite unhappy with with Greg's dismissal <laughs> of Dundee as a uh, a, a valid touring stop. <laughs> Valid is a loose term. Mate, I am not the only person that's ever slated Dundee, so I have (laughs) no regrets whatsoever. (laughs) Dundee, is it? I'm trying to... We've played shows there, but I can't remember where it would have been. Um, There's there's a venue um, venue there called Buskers, which is a a really, really well-specced venue, a, a really nice venue. Um, with it's, little to no interest in doing anything with the venue. It's in an old church, isn't it, Ben? Yeah. It is. And I, I went there with a band years ago, about five years ago, and the promoter turns to us as we turned up and went, oh, I thought you were tomorrow night. I've done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, similar experience in uh, Harry's Bar in Stoke. Okay. Uh, oh, Don't know it. Yeah. Never played in Stoke. Played. No, no. Happy to name that one. Uh, <laughs> we turned up and while we were sound checking, so multiple members of Maybe She Will are front of house engineers. So they can be a total pain. Mm. A total pain. They're, they're, they're like, they're very respectful. But if they, there's like a clash of personalities with the front of house engineer back in the day, maybe it would have been a little bit difficult. I've, 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 I've sold them short there. No, they're, they're totally fine. But this, <laughs> this particular front of house engineer, um, 
while we were we were trying to sound check um said i don't know why you're bothering no one's gonna come anyway oh fuck <laughs> off <laughs> oh my oh god that's that's very uplifting isn't it wow um, do you remember that, you remember that front of house guy in London for us and he was absolutely trolleyed and he called everyone a cunt? Yeah, he called Dan a cunt, didn't he? Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, and, and it was because we, we were late, uh, quite significantly late, and we, we were loading on through a full room, which is horrible. Um, and, uh, and this guy had obviously decided that we were pricks before we'd even done anything and just started drinking and was absolutely looned by the end of the show. Like he was like lying on the stage, like really <laughs> hammered. But yeah, I remember Dan and like Cleft were playing and Dan was trying to get set up and was trying to explain that he needed a, a DI because he, you know, his two piece, whatever. And the guy just went, you're a cunt. And, and just kept calling Dan a cunt because he deemed that it was, um, it was we were we were awful for being so late and stuff, and we just got stuck in loads of traffic on the way down. And you know, shit happens, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it was great, Summer. thoroughly enjoyable. There was um, a show we were on tour of and saw watch you from afar very early in both of our careers. And we played the Sunflower Lounge in Birmingham. Oh yeah, I know mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, and the sound engineer there was getting more and more pissed throughout the course of the day, and it, um. I think he'd like he he would come on stage and like start messing with people's settings like on their amps, which oh that's a oh I hate that shit. It's a big no no, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what else. This is so long ago, I can barely remember it. I do remember sending him home halfway through our set. <laughs> um, being like, and, and so I watched you from afar playing after us. So I don't know what the fuck I was doing. But <laughs> these so surplus to requirements at that point. That's just like, <laughs> needs to stop. But yeah, shouldn't have made that decision for them. But uh, <laughs> none of the guitar amps were mic'd up. The drum kit was, maybe there was a kick bike on or something. But we were basically, a lot of the shows on that tour, we were playing without really, you know, barely PAs, really. So I think we, they coped. But that guy was a knob. Yeah, <laughs> sounds ideal. It does yeah. remind me of that kid in um in that at that show in Leipzig that we played. Do you remember that lad? Yes. Uh, Leipzig. The which... first time we played with Clefton Axes. Is that the one where where we ended up doing the sound? Because that's right. Yeah. The system was like a club, a club system that was wired up backwards, basically front and back. Yeah. That one. And the the guy the guy that that the promoter who actually is a lovely fellow who's since put us on and is really mm-hmm. nice just as a bit of a caveat there. Um Martin. Yeah, Martin, yeah. Top uh, dude. Top dude, yeah. Um the guy that he'd got in to like do front of house was like a uh what do you call it like an apprentice or something or like he was he was studying sound at college and had no idea what he was doing and similar to you guys like on that tour they were like there were nine of us and six of us were sound engineers. So we were just kind of watching this guy absolutely like fucking everything. And we had Paul Russell with us from Axis, who's like, you know, front of house extraordinaire, does like front of house at like massive festivals and stuff. And he just went, he was like standing there, I was chatting to him and he just goes, I don't want to have to do this, but I think I'm going to have to go and step in. And he did. (laughs) And he went in and was just like, mate, 
I'll just do this. And the guy was like, I'm just going to go home. And he just left. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I'm sort of thinking about what I've said about Matt and, <laughs> Matt and Jamie from MG. <laughs> I, I just want to re- reassert, just in case they listen to this podcast, but also it's true. <laughs> that they are not difficult people for sound engineers to do. <laughs> I think <laughs> what I mean is that they have a lot of opinions. Oh, I think that's making it worse, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a lot of the show. And a lot of uh, knowledge to to back up those opinions. I think that's the critical thing, isn't it? You know, they're they're not suffering from imposter syndrome in that situation. Just, or maybe they are. I don't know. Um, They would very rarely intervene, but they can give like very precise instructions, which I think perhaps sometimes is intimidating. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine if I was a if I was a front of house guy and a band told me exactly what they thought I needed to do, I'd probably find that slightly irksome. But at the same time, if you do know what you want them to do, then it's not an unreasonable thing to do. Yeah. You could be um, you could be like the guy from Wheatus and do your own sound on, whilst you're on stage on an iPad. Wow. <laughs> is, that, is that real? Yeah, that yeah, is very, very it. fucking real. Wow. Yeah. Sends a left and right from like a mini mixer that he's got on stage. I've met that guy. He's a very strange man. <laughs> Not very likely to listen to this, so that's fine. No, although actually we do have mates that do do his front of house, so which is balancing a left and right signal that he sends from the stage. <laughs> that's that's such an easy day's work, isn't it? It's belter, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's flickering green. Keep it there. Fantastic. <laughs> Two hundred and fifty pounds a day, thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, John, this is not about us; it's about you. <laughs> the end of that the end of that story was that they're very they're fine they're totally fine yeah cool good uh, when you were talking about Dundee um, do you know the guys from In You and I Blackfish yeah yeah um, yeah we did a tour with those guys that start well second show and we didn't really know them was up in Aberdeen um, and again the only thing that anyone can really remember about that show is that we started the set. <laughs> got absolutely like blasted by the our like track that had been somehow like wildly changed in the wedges and the front of house desk was a computer and this was like before that was in any way common and the guy was like mixing with a mouse and keyboard oh whoa <laughs> like impractical and, and clearly was but after the first song like i went to the microphone and was like hey how's it going well, maybe she will and got absolutely zero response. And because of the way this guy was obviously like a real enthusiast and like completely treated the stage with like sound treatment. So it's completely dead. Um, so when there was no response, my first thought was, Oh, he hasn't switched the microphone on. <laughs> like, is this, is this working? And just one guy in the front row just went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously we went down incredibly well in Belter. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Those guys are so good. Um, the guys from Indian I, that was a, a, they, those guys and and so which everyone we've talked has been lovely, but those two early tours were like really great, formative 
touring experience in Vegas. I think I think you do so much learning on those early tours, though, don't you? Because you you just don't you don't know. We've definitely covered this before. Like you don't know what the standard is. You don't know what you're supposed to expect in some cases, and you haven't really developed a sense of what well, what what am I willing to accept uh, is also an important aspect of it. I think. Yeah, and I think like. I don't know. Your just expectations of everything can be so wildly off. Not just in like terms of what you should be like expecting to get or like treatment at shows or whatever. But um, something that's really stuck with me is the first time we went to Europe was with and saw what you from afar, and we we rooted it. And the plan was to do like across Germany, through Poland, to Kiev, and then Moscow and St Petersburg, and we were just going to drive it Big. and. That isn't, I mean, it is possible, technically, <laughs> but like, in practice, it's not. It's just not, you can't do that. <laughs> this is like no perspective on the distances, really. No understanding. We wouldn't have got visas because we didn't know really that you needed to do that. And you can't go into Russia without a visa. So we would have got stuck there. But also, when you cross the border in Russia, there's all these stories about people who are taking passports off you and then you have to pay bribes to get them back we wouldn't have been making any money really i don't think we made much on that tour if anything so anything went wrong we'd just be absolutely effed in the middle of nowhere in eastern europe with no one that speaks russian or any any language that would be of any use to anyone <laughs> uh, yeah it's just i don't know so what happened did you, did you do the tour did you go to russia we did the tour, but someone, um, someone in Ansarwich from afar spoke to someone that knew something. Right. <laughs> we did and was advised not to, not to drive to Russia. So we canceled that shows and did them like a couple of years later, I think. Right. Once you actually knew how to do it properly. Well, yeah. And like flew because that way you don't get your passport stolen from you. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, um You've That's done um you've done Russia quite a bit, haven't you, with with maybe Shuel? Yeah, yeah. Um mostly like Moscow and St. Petersburg fairly regularly and, and Kiev in the Ukraine. Um we usually do those those three as like a trio. But um multiple times we've done longer tours. We um when we toured our the last record, we went all the way across, did like ten or fifteen shows through Russia, basically over to Mongolia. And then wow. um Flew into China, did a China tour. Amazing. Australia. That was like the real like high point of the band, I think. Most of us like obviously we'd love making music together and stuff, but the travel element was a real like a real selling point for being in the band, I guess. Mm. Like so many cool, cool places. It was it was a real good time. Um Russia there's a fair few stories from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> First time we went over in St. Petersburg, um, we played this weird club and we were on after like a poetry reading night. <laughs> so that was taking place and then they finished. We sound checked and then um, played show. Um, and while we were there, a guy, I don't know, this again, this is so long ago. He definitely came in to show us his garroting rope. What like, the fuck? What? <laughs> was showing us this rope that he had that he he said he used for garroting and had like a I think he had a knife. <gasps> uh, 
uh, and he then like would it's just this weird guy that didn't seem really to be attached to the show but was like he was allowed to be in the venue and he was allowed to sit in the dressing room putting drugs in his eyes (laughs) 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 oh god wow so yeah that was it's just always this like i really love touring russia it is it's always been like real good fun, but there's always like some pretty like gnarly element to it. <laughs> this isn't okay, but I'm sure it's going to be fine in the end. Um, second or third time we went over. So you tend to do Moscow and St. Petersburg on separate days and you'll do a night train between the two, but like sometimes the scheduling doesn't work. So you either have to like do an early show, absolutely belt to the station just in time to make the train and then the train will get him to the other city like in the, in the morning, the next day, morning, afternoon. Um, but this one time we were playing this festival that was in the two cities and the trains didn't work out. So we had to get a fast train in the day, but the show finished so late and the train was so early that the guy hadn't bothered to book us a hotel. So he'd booked like (laughs) rooms in a, in inverted commas, sauna. Oh, shit. Yeah. One of those uh, kind of saunas then. Yeah, well, we think so. But we like <laughs> we were with another band, another like well-known UK post-rock band. And um, <laughs> we were all sat in this minibus outside this sauna, just like one guy. I'm, we're not going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> Both both bands are sort of looking at each other, being like, "Is are you? No, no, no." So we ended up staying with the first time we'd been over. When you're in Russia, you get like a chaperone, someone that's going to stay with you for the whole time and look after you. And um, we'd stayed in touch with the the people that we'd, we'd been with that first time. So it was like a different promoter, and we ended up sleeping like the five of us, six of us in like on her floor in a spare bed <laughs> on the sofa in this tiny apartment with a, a dog that was like bigger than any of us. <laughs> it's like amazing that she, she put us up, but um, God, it, that was weird. Someone's had a gun pulled on them in Russia, just like on the floor in the hotel that we were staying in, in like a weird sort of lobby bit that was on the floor and the hotel rooms were on. Uh, that wow. was <laughs> why. Why did I did get the gun pulled on them? <laughs> That's not uh, that one's not my story to tell, so you have to get um, the other other member of maybe she will want to talk about that one. <laughs> maybe she will part two. We'll get that <laughs> one in the diary. Um, weird stuff like in like I can't remember which city it's in, but it was maybe like Krasnodar or Krasnoyarsk, somewhere like southern russia like really far from anything else we played the show and then it was uh like a taxi to the airport to go on to the next show because you don't we didn't really like drive between shows in russia it's always like a train or a flight and we were like got to the airport and the airport was like completely closed like it wasn't just that there was our flight wasn't there you couldn't even go into the airport i think they were planning that we'd go into the airport and then wait until the early morning flight just like sitting on 
chairs were open, but they'd completely locked down the airport. So then oh, <laughs> I had to drive back to the venue. I think there was near, there was a really near miss car crash on the like gnarly road from the city to the airport. So everyone's pretty on edge anyway. And then we get back to the venue and it's basically just like, you have to sleep on the floor of the venue until the airport opens. Oh, God. And, oh, and it was not, it wasn't even like, it wasn't like a small club. This is like a 2000 cap <laughs> venue. Fucking the only, hell. only venue that wasn't a pub in the city probably. So <laughs> it was like way too big for us to be playing. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, there were like mice running about in the night. You could hear oh. them like, running around the floor. Uh, yeah. And then we flew out in the morning, I think. Some of these sh- these stories like in my mind run into each other, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, that was Goo- gooey. Uh, mess. That, car, that car crash may not have happened on that same night, but in my mind that you're in sort of like some weird dream state. Of yes. <laughs> and too many flights and airports and things. You're obviously you're obviously pretty like resilient to that kind of thing because you know. <sighs> touring it's like sometimes when you've got a catalogue of things that go wrong like almost semi-catastrophic things to go wrong yeah i think i mean it's, i think i think for us i mean jesus we've had like shit gigs in france or something it's just like well should we fuck it off or what you know <laughs> what i mean like that that which, which is small flight compared to like missing planes and you know <laughs> shit that really does break yeah <laughs> but, you, but you you seem very like kind of like yeah fucking whatever next one <laughs> uh, you made the, i'm saying you, you made the very strong stuff <laughs> i'd like to think so i don't know whether it's like all of this is is like learning experiences i mean I, being a tour manager now and everyone i work with now as a tm is absolutely lovely i feel like i have the best roster of acts of any tm I know everyone is amazing, but some of the people I've worked with along the way have been like, I just, you can, you feel like they've never played a shit show right. or like they've never played a, a sh- like been in any, never been in any peril or. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Stuart Little. <laughs> we, like maybe she will started touring as like, I guess same as you guys, like pretty pretty early on and like didn't have a booking agent for a really long time. So we were like booking around shows and a lot of those shows were really shit, but you learn so much from that and you build up this sort of, I don't know, like yeah, a bit of a bit of a shell to the, the shit stuff because you've slogged for a long time yeah. when you eventually do get some like good shows, even if there's a few bumps in the road, it's like sort of all right. And you learn to deal with it and, Stuff does go wrong, like on tour. Even if, even like the best laid plans will go wrong. Mm. Totally. Oh, it won't. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to plan this arc <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> last, last year. Oh no, it's the start of this year. I nearly burnt to death on a tour bus because. Fucking hell! <laughs> right. Okay. Really shit the bed, man. <laughs> Someone put muffins on top of the toaster and. Then right as everyone went to bed, someone pressed the toaster thing down by accident. And we were woken up in the middle of the night by smoke coming through the air vents into the bunks in the back. And uh, (laughs) absolutely like uh, Rich, the sound engineer 
for the for the band that I was with. Um, he wo- he woke up. Everybody else was still asleep, um, and I was woken up by him shouting "fuck, fuck, fuck" as he'd gone out into the lounge. And I like just through my curtain could see the like orange light of a fire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, fuck's sake! Yeah, um, but so like this stuff still happening now. <laughs> Like some things are out of your control and someone will do something stupid, like put some fucking muffins on top of a toaster. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you do stuff like that's going to happen. So you just have to deal with it and then move on and sort of make sure that everybody else does that as well. Like yeah. the act that that was, that was on that bus is like, he's not super young, but he's like relatively young. He's done a bit of touring, but only really in the last two or three years. And that could have like completely spooked him and he'd never have gone on a tour bus ever again. Yeah. And um, There was a few things that like from that I've learned always check that there's nine volt batteries in the smoke alarms on tour buses because people steal them for their pedals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which wasn't, that was like, pre us getting on the bus so that had happened like on another tour so the smoke alarms wouldn't have gone off and if rich hadn't smelt the smoke then we wouldn't have got up but because you deal with that in a certain way that's like oh well all nearly died uh we'll just leave the doors open for a bit and get the smoke out but then you can all go back to bed and we'll carry on tomorrow (laughs) i don't know I, i think i text the manager of the band and was like you'll probably find out about this from twitter in a bit so i'm just letting you know there was a fire on the bus. Everyone's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Manage those expectations. I didn't sleep for two nights because I was so worried. In fear that someone was going to set some muffins on fire again. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think like acts that go straight into touring at quite a high level because they've had like either investment or they've just like immediately achieved a degree of success where they haven't had to deal with that crap. Like, they're sometimes the ones that are sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess because they they've never they've they've those 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 people are the types of people that have lived their lives without anyone ever saying no to them about stuff as well, aren't they? And yeah. that's why they need people like you doing what you do, John. Because if you just <laughs> threw them into that situation where they had to organise everything for themselves. They they wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. They'd just have a nervous breakdown, probably. Because <laughs> um, um, you know um, our mate John Crawford, don't you? Who uh, is oh, in yeah. in real terms? So um, uh, I've he some terrible acts on him. That's oh, some good one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, I used to, I used to live with John, and I would like watch him doing his tour management planning stuff. And I was, every time I'd look at him, I'd just be like, the amount of stress that this is putting you through for the return that you get from it. Like, I'm just looking at it, just thinking, that is the last job on the planet that I would like to do, which mm. is to organize the logistics of a tour for six, seven, eight different people coming from various different countries, traveling around various different countries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, dealing with different characters because bands people in bands are fucking strange uh or they definitely can be that's for sure mm. and i was always just like almost kind of um in awe of of what he was doing just to pull a tour together yeah um john's 
absolutely wicked. Uh, he's really got the like, I think so much of it is personality. And he is a case in point for like someone who's got the exact perfect personality for being a tour manager. Um, just like really relaxed, doesn't doesn't stress easily. Just like really lovely, very hard to dislike. Um, a good so point. like, if you want to like get stuff done, that's you could got to be that person. I think that like there's always this old stereotype of TMs being like guys that are screaming at everyone to get stuff done. I just don't think that works. No, maybe. Or maybe it never worked. But as a promoter, I've certainly experienced those sort of TMs. And you just don't want to, you don't want to help. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. You know, I think there are some quite toxic um, stereotypes that are, are quite pervasive in, in the music industry at large. And and the kind of arsehole manager and arsehole tour manager and like everything's really cutthroat and all this kind of stuff. It's like whenever I hear anyone say that stuff, I'm always like, you've just completely got the wrong end of the stick mate like if you actually want to do or have a decent time in it you've actually the more one of the most crucial things is to not be a dickhead like being a dickhead is is an absolute no-no in my experience anyway i'm sure that at certain level being a dickhead can be helpful but there there are definitely acts that i work with that or have worked with that have expected me to be an asshole and uh i just sort of have to explain that that's not how this is going to work <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you an arsehole john <laughs> i think there's i mean i'm an arsehole for other reasons but no, i'm not going to go and scream at a promoter because I, I i'm a promoter and yeah. <laughs> like, i know how i would feel in that situation so i'm not going to do that to someone else but i think you do there's a certain like you have to be firm without being a twat and there's definitely like there's a knack to that which i think is I can see you being good at that. You, you exude a, a certain um, authoritative uh, tone about you, I think, John. In a, so, but in a nice way, you know, not like a draconian kind of gulag runner uh, or something. I, thanks, I think. I don't, I don't know. No, it's good. It's good. I'm telling you it's good. I have confidence thanks, in your ability to tour manage to a high level. How about that? Oh, thank you very much. appreciate that. So um, speaking of um, tour managing... Yeah. Do you have tales from TMing, not just, you know, buses burning down and all that? But... I've got, yes, a lot. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I just, like, speed round the last two or three, maybe you will once? Yeah, absolutely. Go for oh, it. Oh, girl, please, yeah. please. Yeah, please. Um, flew to Mallorca to play a show at the university in Mallorca. Um, flew in that morning, sound checked. Um, it rains one day a year in Mallorca, so they haven't put a roof on the stage. It rained that day. We flew home <laughs> playing a show <laughs> um the dinner was amazing and everyone had such a lovely time but, uh, incredibly disappointing to for that to happen not play a show. Um, uh we uh, this might have even been on our first tour we turned up at a venue in leeds as the the staff of the venue were being evicted from the venue <laughs> <laughs> what happened there uh, they well, they obviously not making any money, so the bailiffs the bailiffs were literally in, taking stuff out as we were like trying to load in. Oh, I don't, it was on the like, is it the headway, the main road? It's just like a pub, but I can't remember what it was called or anything about it really, other than that. It wasn't the well, was it? Because no. I remember that shut down in in sort of like 
sort of almost out of nowhere. In fact, mm. I remember why that shut down and why I know that it shut down, actually, because that was, that was the reason why I incredibly stupidly put Terramelos on in Clitheroe. Um, <laughs> because that show got pulled and um, the, the guy that was booking them was like just desperately trying to find a show. And I was like, I can do that. I can put Terramelos in a rural market town in, in Lancashire where no one has ever ever listened to Terra Melos ever. Uh we got four paying guests, maybe six, in a in a four hundred and fifty cap room. That oh, was great. Love it. How many put on the bill? Was it quite a few? Was it six? six there were like bands? six bands, yeah. We tried to just ram it. It was like we were like, let's just turn it into a sort of card all day and just try and get and in the end I just ended up inviting loads of my friends for free. I was just like, you're gonna come on, you're gonna come. It was hilarious. It was good. Yeah, enjoyed it. Uh, and the final one is we played to the promoter's mum in No One Case. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Did she like yes, it? That sounds um that uh, sounds like a half man, half biscuit song. <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't know if she liked it. She seemed confused at best. It was us and worried about Satan, if you know those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so that was yeah, that was good. We were supposed to play it, yeah, we're doing Milton Keynes and Luton. And wow. I think I messaged Gav for more about saying the next morning, just like, we're, we're not going to come to Luton. <laughs> 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 but last night was, yeah, it was, it was, um, that was bad. That was that, the worst thing I've ever played. That's a, that's a real, that's a real hot spots of the UK tour. That one is Milton Keynes and Luton. We did a really, they, they were, again, I can't remember if it was our first tour or second tour, but, we played some pretty cool shows with those guys, and then we they they were doing those too, and asked us if we wanted to come along, and it was just a real culture shock <laughs> to go. We've never been back. No, there's a ven- there's a venue in Milton Keynes, isn't there? That a lot of people that was quite broad arms. Yeah, that was, that's right. Yeah, that show was. Yeah, it's cool. I've been there with other, other bands, and the guy that runs it is absolutely like fucking slogging away. Yeah, on the rock rock and roll map. But. Yeah, I played there with another band who supported Blacklisters on a Sunday night, and uh, yeah, I was now on there. Rubbish, you, rubbish. Do you remember when the Milton Keynes Bowl was like a venue that massive bands would go to? Like, I remember Is, Green Day played there, didn't they? There's still stuff occasionally. It wasn't um, the reunion of. No, that the the emo band. My vitriol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, that was awful. Their their reunion tour, but we can go into that one. Mike Mike Van Out knows all about that one. Um, I was a big My Vitriol fan. One of my favourite bands when I was a teenager. Really? Um, I don't know, I've been to some reunion shows. They've done a few, haven't they? <laughs> they reunited. <laughs> yeah, well, they've they've got that album that they were going to bring out that never happened, and they did a big like crowdfund to try and get the money together for it. But actually, what they ended up doing was just uh, going, uh, yeah, we don't have an album, so just have all these like cast off songs that and like rough recordings that we've that we've put together over the last twenty years or whatever. Um, I don't know which big emo band it's going to be. My Chemical uh, Romance. Oh, yeah. right. Cool. Uh, to play there this year, presumably. Oh right, yeah. Well, that makes. Oh, of course, yeah, because they've uh, they've got back together, haven't they? Did anyone, as a total side note, see 
that the guitarist for My Chemical Romance helped save some baby turtles in his back garden. It's very, very wholesome. But the website that shared this article, this video, didn't even mention that it was the guitar player from My Chemical Romance. So everyone was like, um, that's not just like some guy. That's the guitar player from My Chemical Romance, like saving all these baby turtles that had like uh, been deposited in his backyard. It was really sweet. Deposited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's far too positive for this podcast. So, oh, sorry. Uh, we yeah, well, he crushed them all that. under his feet afterwards. Right, he, that's good. Thanks. Flip, flipped them all upside down and just <laughs> laughed at them. <laughs> <laughs> good. good. Crack on. Crack on. Love that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, tour managing. I've been tour managing for like from almost as long as I've been in Maybe She Will, mainly having learnt, like learned from doing Maybe She Will stuff. Um, and most of the people I've worked with have been lovely. Um, so the last sort of uh, positive, negative story, <laughs> it, um, had to drive from somewhere in Italy to somewhere in, I'm going to say Switzerland, but to stay wherever our hotel was, was far enough off the motorway that when I put it into the GPS, this is before proper like phone sat-navs, it took the shortest route but it was like not a major road Um, so we start driving up this mountain range like real like tight double back turns all the way up this hill and the roads get narrower and narrower and narrower and it gets to a point where we've come so far up like a i can't turn around because uh of the road being as as it is but um i also can't like get the van around a corner in one go so i have to go like turn the corner reverse backwards and then take the rest of the corner and it's going like through these little tunnels the road is the width of one vehicle so we're passing places we're just going and there was definitely a point where i should have been like this isn't the right way (laughs) we should go back down (laughs) also my french isn't my french is fine but it's not um it's not good enough to understand like skiing terminology. (laughs) 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 The roads get more and more stressful the higher up we go and I can smell the clutch and then suddenly opens up and it's like we've crested this hill and it's everyone's like visibly relieved that this experience is no longer going on. Um, we stop, take this amazing photo. It's like so high up in the Alps. The photo is unbelievable because <laughs> you can just see these like spiky snow covered tops of mountains below where the van is. Fucking um, hell. Wow. Um, get back in the van, carry on driving, go through this lovely little ski town with a load of people sitting outside with their skis on, drinking hot, hot drinks, turn the corner as a wall of snow across the road. <laughs> oh. oh no. <laughs> than the van it's like cleared <laughs> that far and cut it off and it's 10 foot of snow uh, in a wall it's just like oh well gotta drive back down, down again. Right? <sighs> and wow. as we'd come through the town everyone had just like watched the van go past. <laughs> i'm just like where are they going english idiot think he's going <laughs> <laughs> And we'll go back down, go back across to. Fucking hell. 
Um, oh. I very recently rewatched the film Dante's Peak, and that just <laughs> reminds me of the bit where Pierce Brosnan is just like, "Yeah, I'm just going to drive this car over over some lava." Did you not? <laughs> did that impulse not occur to you that you could you could try and pierce this Pierce Brosnan in the van over the snow? <laughs> I, I imagine it'd be like throwing. Uh, just throwing a ball into some snow. That's <laughs> <Just like, laughs> completely dead. Um, yeah, oh, <clears throat> I mean, oh, do you do you? Because honestly, if if I found myself in that position, apart from the having to go back down again aspect of it, I'd probably quite enjoy that drive. Probably not in a splitter. Let's be fair. If I was in my nice Ford Focus, I'd probably enjoy it more. But the view and what you can see, would you say it was worth the stress? I think so. Certainly, like, it was it was a real experience. And that tour, I think, was my first tour with the band that I was with. So um, you're like, there's a bit of, like, you're trying to gauge how much of an idiot they think you are. Like, <laughs> are they going to hire me again after this? I'm like... I think because that was so spectacular at the top, I probably just about <laughs> scraped it. <laughs> scraped it home. The payoff was worth it. But it, yeah, it was. That happens <laughs> relatively frequently. <laughs> like work out whether people are going to sack you or not. Uh, I wouldn't say I fuck up incredibly frequently, but that was <laughs> like I don't know. There must have been a point where I should have been like, "Oh, that sign says this pass is closed. Like you cannot take this road to Switzerland." But I didn't. <laughs> and we drove away. Um, You're probably too busy concentrating on the foot on, on trying not to, you know, drive off the edge <laughs> of a mountain. I'm sure the sign was like there was definitely signs at the bottom before you started. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I, the only stories that are left now are the real miserable ones. <laughs> good, well, good. That's we're all, what, we're all we're settled in, and we're ready. We've warmed up still. There's an act that I work with um, where I don't know if this is, some of these haven't been necessarily bad gigs, but sort of bad tours or like on tour experiences. Is that allowed? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit late to ask now, really. Else we don't. Right, we'll finish. Cheers. <laughs> I, worked, I worked for an act who um, was really heavily cost cutting the tour. And but also being really ambitious. So we were trying to do the tour in a single splitter, but with this support act who was, was also in the band, but was a, a solo artist, and the full headline band, band, um, lighting engineer, sound engineer, me as TM, um, and the all the way through the organizing. <laughs> both myself and the sound engineer were like, this van is going to be too heavy. <laughs> uh, this could be like a problem. And then when we, um, I'm sort of missing out bits of the story, but we, when we, the day when we were loading everything up, we went and picked up the van from Vans for Bands and it was like a luxury splitter. So it's got these seats in it that are electrically adjustable and it already weighs a fucking ton. Yeah. And then we have to go and put all of the back line, uh, a sound desk, the lighting package that they're touring, all this stuff. And 
we have like we've got all the UK people and then we have to get on a ferry and go to Denmark and then pick up another app the rest of the stuff and the van is just getting heavier and heavier and heavier um when we get to loading the final bit in in Copenhagen the back is completely full like you couldn't fit anything else in the bunk in the middle in in the van is stacked higher than anyone would like want it to be because obviously if you break stuff flies forwards off the bunk i'm sure you've experienced and the vehicle is like riding so low on the wheels that if you (laughs) even if you didn't know what an overweight vehicle looked like if you saw this van drive past you'd be like the fuck are those guys <laughs> scraping its ass down the road like a dog with worms <laughs> such a poetic description skidding it along a road um, and I think at this point everyone we've like flagged this to as many people as we possibly can but this is not okay we leave Copenhagen the next morning to drive to Oslo where the first show is. We're three quarters of the way there. We get pulled over by the police who says, um, we get weighed. Uh, we're 115% overweight. Fucking <laughs> hell. What? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I've got quite a good rapport going with the policeman um, at this point. And he was like, I really, I should take your license off you now. <laughs> and, oh. I've been driving. Uh, but he was like, like move forward and you know, have to s- split this load. But the, the reason that part of the reason they'd wanted to keep it to one vehicle is that two of us, there was two drivers, two people who could drive the vehicles. And some of the drives between shows were so long that really should be rotating drivers at various points to make sure it's safe. as safe as possible. Yeah. Mm. But we've got ourselves into this situation where we're in the middle of Norway with way more stuff than one vehicle can take so we had to rent another vehicle crossload it long story short the two drivers end up driving a vehicle each for the whole tour um and i think it was about i've never even felt at risk of falling asleep at the wheel and i've done some fucking nuts drives i think i did like barcelona to madrid to barcelona to bilbao in what in one day that's Um, massive yeah yeah, wow. it was sort of fine. It was awful, but it was sort of fine. But I think like two or three days into this tour of like driving, so it wasn't like really that many off dates. So we'd drive all day. Then I'd TM the show. Um, we had like local merch sellers. So I wasn't selling merch or anything, but I had to organize that with the seller. So I was working right till like midnight, one o'clock, and then I have to get up and drive the next day. And um, three days into that, after this had happened three or four days after uh fell asleep at the wheel and like went on to got woken up by the rumble strip at the side of the road and uh that's <laughs> did not enjoy that in the slide oh, that's fucking um, scary stuff but. but there's there's things in those situations where that shouldn't have been happening and it should have been caught way earlier mm. In that tour, like I'm not gonna, I can't place any, any real blame anywhere because there's so many cogs in that machine that should have caught that before it got to that point. But um, having someone that was sat in the passenger seat that would like talk would have been <laughs> even just that would have been 
helpful. Yeah, it would have been fine, but you've got to like manage those sort of personalities and the, the people that are prepared to do that for a six or eight hour journey. Well, it's funny because we, I mean, I reflect on the uh, the first European tour that we ever did, and we, we've only done two, and which sounds like fucking nothing compared to like what you you guys did with Maybe She Will and whatever. But like, we we did do a similar thing on our first tour, which was like, oh, there's nine seats in a van. That means we can get nine people in the van. So we'll take we'll do a three band tour in one van, which was us cleft and axes so so every seat was occupied in the van but with three three bands worth of gear and stuff and like i don't think we were we were as overloaded as you guys sound like you were but we were absolutely 100 percent overloaded to the point that on the morning of the last show um the morning after the last show we came downstairs to the van to see that the sidewall on one of the van's tires had actually split because mm. it, it actually probably hadn't been filled up with air enough, and the van was so full that it had just bulged and actually split the tire. But mm. when you're really inexperienced, like we were, we were just excited about going on a tour. So we were like, "Yeah, there's nine seats in a van. The van can take all the gear. It's fine." But you don't think about those things. And no, and we absolutely did that for tons of the tours early on, and I probably still still do. I mean, um, there's been. I until recently owned a, a splitter that was would occasionally loan out to people for tours. I saw that you'd sold it. Yeah, yeah, sad, got rid of it this sad times. Victim of COVID. Um, but uh, I rented that out to a, a band who <laughs> then had like they thought they were getting flat tires every day, and then I think again, I think I'm mixing up stories here, but I met them on the tour somewhere in Europe, and. Um, they were like the weight of the vehicle was cracking the rims, like the metal rims of the wheels because the back was so full and there was nine people in it. Like, but basically every sprinter tour that is on the road is overweight. Yeah. Like, um, it's like impossible to economically do a tour with full back line. If you're all like four by 12s heads, drum kit, like you're overweight without even any people in there. So it's always a compromise of some sort of trying to make sure like it's legal or as, as, as legal and safe as, as humanly possible. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You, I wonder why, I mean, obviously we're sidestepping into a different topic here, but I, I, cause double, like double axle splitters can take a bit more weight. Am I right in saying that? And like, yeah. a, you need a different license to drive them. Oh, yeah, the tacker graft. You need yeah. a tackle to drive them. I did not know that. That's interesting. Is that because yeah. they like rear wheel drive? That's technically heavy goods vehicles. Right? As soon as it's three and a half tons. Yeah. So what you're like looking? <laughs> Great the- chat. Our <laughs> listeners will love this. They're <laughs> <laughs> looking for the lightest possible vehicle before you start loading it. So when you get like luxury sprinters and stuff from hire companies, they're already so heavy that like you put a twin in the back and it's overweight. But if you, you get like the absolute budget ones that have absolutely no frills, like the uncomfortable bench seats or whatever, you're going to be able to fit more stuff in. That's interesting. That's a good tip. Yeah. I mean, it's not useful to anyone really. Mm-hmm. But like, not right now, but yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, that's the sort of compromise. And when you, you're with these acts that are like, not aren't necessarily experienced and they want like 
oh, I'm making a bit of money now so I can be as comfortable as possible on tour. <laughs> like luxury sprinters or whatever that you have to make compromises anywhere else. And a lot of managers just aren't prepared to make compromises. And you, you, it's hard to put your foot down because they'll just use someone else. You have to, I don't mm. know, I'm learning now is when to spot those like danger signs early when you, you're with a manager and you, you express that something might not be okay. And it goes, oh, we've got to make it work. It's like, mm. no, mm. because yeah. my driving license taken off me and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, it's one of those as well. Like if, if you're driving in a, an incredibly overweight van like that, 115% overweight, and you have an accident, you're going to jail. It's not even that, that you'll get your driver's license taken away. You're you're literally going to get put in prison. And like that's a lot of responsibility to have on your shoulders when you're just driving a band around. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like with with that that instance in particular, like it was would have been such I mean, yes, I absolutely I should have said no. <laughs> this shouldn't. <laughs> but it's like such an uphill battle because to fix that problem would have doubled the cost of the tour, which probably would have made the tour not possible. Yeah. So it's really hard to make that case to the people that actually have to make that decision. Um, and yeah, like I say, I could have, I, what I should have done is just say no at some point, but you're under mm. a lot of pressure not to do that. I think now I would say no. Yeah. Good stuff. Overweight van chat. I love it. It's perfect. You know what? It is bloody relevant though, because bands do need to know this shit. Like bands mm. do need to know that when they hire a splitter from a like a van hire company or whatever and just go, that'll be fine that 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 there are like repercussions potentially for filling up mm. a van and going away on tour and because we, I mean, for you know, fucking touch wood, fortunately, we've never been pulled for being overweight, but um I'm sure yeah, that other we... than me, other than me and my family Christmas dinner. <laughs> um, did you hear the tinging Sorry. of the wine glass? I don't know if you did. I've only been pulled over for being overweight twice, and that was one of the two times. And the other time was um, in the UK. It was not that much overweight. I think we had to get three people out and put them in a taxi. So it's like it's a completely like different array of decisions, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So what else you got for us, then, John? Um, the, this is this is a long one. <laughs> this is the last story. It's, it's, it's the one, isn't it? Now I've heard rumours of this one already. If it is uh, what I think it is, yeah, I'm not going to name the act. I think, but anyone who, if you meet me at any point, just ask me and I'll tell you. Um, well, I'm going to DM you after. Press, well, yeah, I was going to say when we stop pressing record, then you can tell us. <laughs> Um, it's a, a black metal act. Um, I don't work with black metal bands anymore. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about straight away. Um, so, <laughs> I was booked to do a South American tour with this uh, this band, um, but ahead of the tour, they were booked to do a festival in Indonesia. Um, and, uh, I sort of got roped into doing that as well. Sort of made sense. Never been to Indonesia before. Thought that'd be good. Got to build the crew for the, the show. So I got to take, um, 
um, uh, Matt from Maybe She Wills to do front of house. Um, and Maybe She Wills lighting engineer, Jazz, um, to do lights. It's absolutely like dream gig because the best thing about tours when you're working with like a bunch of friends thought it'd be cool we're just gonna go to indonesia um in the run-up to this there were some warning signs that the band was splitting up and having like huge rows on stage getting too pissed to be able to play and storming off guitars getting thrown at people it was i was like how okay this is looks bad but how bad can it be for just one show <laughs> like, <laughs> like a cool country it'll be totally it'll be it, even if it's shit it'll be fine um so we fly out to this show the band have already arrived before we get there one of them is in his hotel room don't see him till show day really the other one is smashed <laughs> and is in the lobby. I think we've uh, chatting to like Megadeth's crew or something. And um, initially I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to ignore, sort of ignore this because the show's not for another day. So as long as they are sorted out by tomorrow and they turn up for, for showtime, we're going to be fine. No sound check or anything. It's just, they're like, the, the act before Megadeth on this festival. So we're just going like line check for them and then uh, they'll play the show straight away. But, like, <laughs> it's so hard to tell these stories because it's mm-hmm. a lot of them ago and there's a lot to it. I don't want <laughs> All of it. The Give long it. and the short of the Indonesia uh, part of this is when we, <laughs> the best bit <laughs> I'd forgotten we land at the when we land at the airport we come off the air bridge from the plane and the promoter is there or like a promoter rep is standing at the end of the air bridge air side um, obviously spots that where the crew calls us aside <laughs> says oh just give me a, give me your passports um, and we'll we'll go through security we get up to security and he says I'll just sit here wait here a second and he disappears off behind the security desk um, it transpires to pay a bribe so that they stamp our passports and he hasn't had to sort of visa for us. So we're like crossing an international border in a country where someone, I think like two or three months later was in prison for six months for not having the correct visa. Oh, wow. I don't, I mean, I was on pretty late onto that show. I don't know how that wasn't really like flagged, but they'd obviously reassured the agent that that was going to be cool. And so... (laughs) I don't know. That was <laughs> that was bad. So I've still got a passport with like a fraudulent Indonesian visa in it. <laughs> uh, and then a lot of things went wrong at the show, um, mainly to do with like poor preparation on the the band's part. I'd sort of made an assumption that a band of their stature would like know what they're doing. The two session musicians who are absolutely lovely and super professional and without them that's the none of these shows happened but the two like actual band members just like didn't have a fucking clue um turned up with like a guitar with the 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 jack socket like hanging out of it so like the first time i opened the guitar case the guitar is broken and this is like an hour before stage time so i ended up taking it all together trying to like fix this guitar in like 
I think for the mental image, it's worth bearing in mind how hot it is at all of these shows <laughs> yeah. and how pouring, just absolutely dripping with sweat. Any clothing that's on is like soaked through from a mixture of the heat and humidity and sheer panic that I'm experiencing. Um, eventually, like, they play the show, but they're on, like, fucking well late and they get pulled off because Megadeth are obviously the the band that everyone's there to see. Um, get them off stage, load out, and it's just like, oh, well, we're going to go to bed now and then tomorrow morning we're going to get up and fly home and this is over. Except that the bass player goes on a fucking bender at the festival and is chasing... <laughs> is chasing Muslim women around the festival site, trying to like pull their headdresses off and call like unbelievable like slurs. Um, Which is, which is fucking awful. Um, So, and also there's a lot of like drugs circulating in, in the, the two members of the band situation. So we get back to the UK and I call up the agent. I'm like, I'm not going to South America. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is, I can deal with like nice people. (laughs) I can't deal with this situation. And this guy is fucking hateful. I don't want to like have to interact with him. Um, And eventually they're not going to get anybody else to TM. So I'm the only person and like I say, okay, well I'll do it. But these are the, these are the things that need to be put in place if I'm going to go on this tour. And they're like, absolutely no drugs on the tour at all. Because (laughs) one of the things I learned that the, um, that the, the, the band would do is when they had to fly, they would hide drugs in their pedals and equipment and when when you check in on a tour that involves flights those items can be checked in under anyone's name and like i don't want to be the person flying into Colombia, where it is the death penalty for possession and find out that a pedal board that checked in under my name has got some coke in it and that is the end of john helps <laughs> wow so that was that was one of the rules <laughs> and uh, initially agreed to was no alcohol on the tour. Um, I think at some point during all this, the singer had like gone into rehab and was like in some sort of clinic trying to sort himself out. Um, uh, so that seemed like it was going to be fine. And then I can't remember what else. There was a number of other, other things. And uh, so I fly out to South America to do this tour. And um, the first, so they used two crew from the US because when they toured in the US, they'd had these two guys, sound engineer and a light engineer. And first show is like in the suburbs of Sao Paulo. They've all had this briefing that there's no drugs or alcohol on the tour. First show, uh, lighting engineer gets caught smoking a spliff outside the venue by <laughs> the Brazilian police. <laughs> I, I'd already gone back to the hotel because they'd played. We were done. The band were back in the hotel. I'd gone back to the hotel. Everyone's fucking knackered. This lighting engineer had stayed to watch the rest of the, the tour package. 
oh, the, this this is important that they're not the headline band mm-hmm. on the tour. So like pretty like outrageous facilitation of a band that is um, like the support act. Um, <laughs> if if anybody else on the tour had been caught with a, a spliff, they would have been arrested. But there's some sort of agreement between Brazil and the USA where if you're caught with drugs, you're treated as if you're in the US or something like that. So he was let off. It was like a sort of caution, basically. I think he'd like thrown it away as well. So the guy would have had a pretty hard time like pinning anything on him. And he's a US citizen in Brazil. So com- complicated situation. Um, but the big day <laughs> was um, <laughs> actually... It's important to note that these guys turned up with no cables for their guitars. The guitar, <laughs> the guitar that was broken in Malaysia has not been repaired. So it's still all taped together. The strings on the guitar are the same ones from Malaysia and are like like rusted. It's been like... Oh, no. I've not touched anything. And they've not brought any strings with them. Um, no picks. Like Basically, they've come with the inst- their instrument and their pedal board <laughs> to, the, uh, to the airport and got on a plane without perhaps without even opening the guitar cases at any point between the two shows. And this is a thing with like acts that are facilitated like that, where at some point they could, they would have a full crew with a guitar tech and a tour manager and a drum tech and all these other people looking after them, making sure stuff like this is sorted. But we're doing this South American tour on shoestring and it's just me sort of guitar teching to the level that I am able to. Uh, which was kind of made clear at the start of the tour. Like, I'm not a guitar tech. I am a guitarist, so I can fix some things and I can do your tunings. Um, and yeah, two days later in Sao Paulo, we're getting lunch. And because people are like, I guess to give the maximum number of options for people to eat, they'd take it to like a shopping mall where there's a food court. And they'd be like, you can get your food. Everyone, go get your food, come back here. And then we'll go back to the venue. So we do that. And just as we're leaving the suit, just as we're leaving this shopping mall, uh, a guy is trying to rob, is trying to like carjack a car outside the shopping mall. And a policeman intervenes. And the guy that's trying to do the carjacking shoots the police officer through the face. <laughs> like, he's not killed. <laughs> He just has a hole through the bottom of his face. We run back into the shopping mall and stay in there uh, for a bit and then go back to the venue, which isn't the worst thing that happened that day. What? <laughs> it's probably the worst thing that happened to the policeman. But <laughs> Fucking Christ. Oh we, go, we go to the, to the venue and there's this huge line of people outside. And we're inside. Um, I think we just sound checked and hear this fucking enormous crash and the building shakes. And everyone's sort of like, as happens in these situations, everyone's like, what the fuck has happened? And it's like looking to, to see. Everyone wants to see what's happened. So you go outside into the street and a car, a drunk driver has come off the road into the queue of people outside the venue, pinned a girl against the wall of the venue by her legs, which um, the promoter like reported back to us a few days later. She'd like had to have them amputated 
Oh, oh. Was, was, sorry, was, was this in the music press? Because it, it sounds very familiar. I don't think so. No, okay. It was in, I, I don't know. It was in Sao Paulo. So I don't know if it would have got over here. Everyone was obviously like real, like, every, everyone understood that it was like an awful situation. And the promoter was obviously dealing with it for a few days. He was like, he was aware and like on that, on that situation. The promoter on that tour was amazing as well. Um, and I probably would have quit that day if it wasn't for him. And they have like these like fixer guys and the guy, the fit like fixer who I was constantly having to call me, like, can you get me some guitar strings? Um, were just like absolutely amazing. Like making these shows happen in absolutely terrifying circumstances in some situations, like, that happening two days into a tour um but yeah just i mean even i should say even the even one of the two band members that i were were like the main problem on that tour was if he wasn't drunk and by the third show he was even though we weren't supposed to have any alcohol or drugs on the tour he was drinking a bottle of jack daniels before stage time um he was like totally fine in the day he was like funny very charismatic like a real like we wouldn't be friends but like you'd you'd have a chat when you saw each other if we were like lived in the same city sure um but yeah yeah like just the um the quantity and absolutely like consumed the way they're like consumed by these like impulses for drugs and alcohol was fucking nuts um i'd get like messages in the night when we were checked into hotels from him he'd like call my phone at two in the morning and be like i can't find the i can't find the jack daniels i'd be like have you looked in all these places and he'd call me back later and be like i found the jack daniels i'd finished it it's like (laughs) why is that your problem (laughs) i don't know i think like it's what that band specifically needed was like a logistical tour manager and then like a personal manager therapist for those yeah sort of a therapist but also just child minder yeah like someone who's just going to get the booze make sure they don't kill themselves just um, take them away from the venue to do stuff when there's nothing else to do which is something i couldn't do because i'm sorting all the tech stuff yeah to be at the venue and they're just sat in the dressing room and they can do whatever they want and get fucking smashed because that's the only thing you can really do at a venue and if you're an alcoholic that's what you're going to (laughs) do um they were mostly i mean it was like manageably bad all the way through brazil chile peru colombia i think costa rica was like the other real bad day where they'd got some coke off someone the day before and then they just spent all day by the swing pool in the hotel with like families having their costa rica holiday with these two black metalers doing coke by the pool um on an off day and i was like trying to there was still like all of mexico to go and i was still trying to like get information out of the promoter and make sure we all knew what was going on. So I had like work to do on this off day. And, um, 
I don't think I'd sort of realized they had any drugs. <laughs> and like, I thought they'll empty the mini bars and then that'll be it. It'll be fine. But yeah, we went to go for a meal with the hotel party at the end of the day. And someone was like, I don't think uh, these two guys will be coming. They're pretty fucked and they don't seem to have any interest in coming for dinner. But then they saw us all come out and get ready to get on this bus to go to a, like a Brazilian steakhouse where they like shave the meat. That was the best bit of that tour. When it wasn't in food courts. Um, and then you know, coming to this dinner and absolutely like ruin it being like, they'd like, it'd be like, it was a different person that was there and they'd be like, sort of like verbally and verbally abusive and like threatening specifically to me, I think, because they knew I was like a, I'm not like used to that world. I was obviously like a bit out of my depth in dealing with these fucking idiots. So yeah, what? that bit was real hard. That's the only bit that's like fucking miserable. Was what was the um? Sorry, what 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 was their ability to perform like then? If they were getting that twatted before they go on stage, were they actually what? able to perform and actually get some kind of reaction from the people there? Sort of fine. Yeah, I think the performances were good when they were, even when they were like a bit pissed. The shows that they'd done before these, they were like getting too pissed to play, and it was it was apparent to the other. So the two guys that were like the band, it, yeah. it would be apparent to the other one that the, the main guy wasn't able to play. And so it'd become an argument and then one of them would throw a guitar and then it'd be over. It'd be done like dollars <laughs> into set. But then, um, yeah. That's the, uh, shambolic then. Yeah. I mean, they were fine on that tour and um, I'm led to believe that there's been some intervention in there. Pretty, pretty good now. One yeah. of the, the problem. The the one that I would identify as the problem has been removed from the equation. I see. Interesting. So I think that's like a lot better. And like I say, this one guy, like when he wasn't fucked, absolutely like the loveliest guy. So yes, it was a fucking weird tour. What else happened on that tour? I quit. That's <laughs> the only you quit? <laughs> yeah. um, I quit in Mexico City and flew home three days later on my original flight. So I had a few days sightseeing. That was nice. Was it just the um, the the accumulation of the events, or was there a certain certain thing that actually thought, you know what? Fuck I think it, off. it was. Yeah, it was just like uh, I've never really suffered with my mental health in any real way. I'm pretty like relatively like together most of the time. But that's always the first time I felt like I'm like gonna have a breakdown. <laughs> this continues, um, and yeah, it was just like an accumulated thing. All the all the like really bad stuff where you can actually put put. A, pinning it and be like this was super shit was like pretty early in the tour and then it was just like on and on and on this like behavior from these these two guys eventually i was just like nope <laughs> you guys can do mexico on your own i'm going home <laughs> um, it sounds it sounds like it, it, it's pretty amazing that you lasted as long as you did yeah I mean, maybe after a couple of days my flight home was from sao paulo so when we on that third day on the real shit day we were in sao paulo and so i was like i could just sit here for two weeks my sister at the time was actually living in that city oh shit i i, I didn't i didn't see her because <laughs> it was like <laughs> everything was awful don't come to the show i'm not gonna have time to see you because i'm dealing with all this other stuff um but uh, yeah, I could have stayed there for two weeks and then come home. Uh, but I was like, it can't get any worse than this. I'll, I can, I can, I can do this. 
and then it but that was like three days in and it was a month <laughs> a month of a tour oh. so you go past that point and then whatever like if you quit it's not just quitting you've got to be able to get back from wherever you are to the uk and that's a very expensive flight to buy in one go so by the time i got to mexico i was like i can probably still get my original flight and just hang out here and and book a flight there which it was doable um i mean it it sounds like your original instinct to not do that tour was the right one but <laughs> part of you just was i i because i think i i think i i understand i mean i've never i've never been in that situation but i know that i know that feeling of like being i don't want to do this but i know i am probably the only person that will or can yeah so when you're i in feel that. obligated to do it i think it's it's probably worth saying that the booking agent is a really good friend like a really close friend so uh i mean he doesn't work with that act anymore and, and says that it's because of what happened with me i don't i don't know if that's true but i, I believe that it is uh, so if i hadn't done that tour there's a there is a, like a you're letting down a friend and not just them they're like having to then be on the receiving end of the wrath from the act management mm-hmm. or whatever having to tell them that they've, this TM who they've recommended has said has pulled out with like a week to go before a month long tour. And like there's visas involved there as well for multiple countries. So <laughs> like, I think it's the fact though, that ultimately it has to boil down to the fact, and you do hear this quite a lot in sort of like relatively high level touring where at no point have people properly addressed the shitty behavior of the people that you're working with. And like, mm. it's not unreasonable for you as a sane human being to go, that is not a situation that I want to put myself in because you've experienced enough of it already and you know what you're going to be put through. But mm. their management are still booking shows for them. They're still doing all of those things, even though they know they probably aren't capable of doing them at that point in time. But mm. there's so much financially, presumably, riding on them doing the shows or whatever and you think that at some point someone probably should go, this is not right. It's not the right thing to do at this point. But it seems that it has to get to like the most extreme level that it can before anybody actually really goes, yeah, this is a problem. Yeah, I think it is hard because like a part of it is like how far ahead stuff is booked. So like stuff's organized year, year years ahead of time so even just extricating yourself from an act can take that amount of time anyway you're gonna have to wait and and deal with it and like for some acts there's so much money even just from one show like the commission can be thousands of pounds Mm. (laughs) Uh, Mm. those acts and you just like letting that go i think must be so hard for some people yeah sure i like now have quite strict rules with myself about who i'll who I'll work with. Um, I'm very lucky to have like a, a sm- small roster of people who tour fairly frequently. I can pretty much rely on them to, to tour in any, any given year for multiple times. And all of them are, I, I don't think I work with anyone that I wouldn't class as a friend now. Like, um, 
Yeah, it's really it. I've, just since that tour, like making the, there was a couple of hangover acts from before that that I don't work with anymore. Um, but they weren't even they weren't that like anywhere near that bad. It was just like I don't know this. If this is going to be a ball ache for me, I'm not going to do it. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be working every hour. I think it's a decision that a lot of people could do with making. It's like you don't need to like if you if you've got enough money, you've got enough money. You don't need to work every day. Um, well, you know what? I think I think you've nailed it there because I, I think that there's a lot of people that and like I think this happens in the in like traditionally in recording environments as well, um, where people will almost feel like it's expected of them to work like sixteen hour days for like however long, like doing a record or whatever, and it does take time for you to realize that it's actually okay to have a certain level of self respect and a certain level of you know what, guys, I'm going to eat some food now and that's absolutely fine because mm. that's what normal people do. But there is somehow an expectation sometimes within music because I don't know if it's because it's seen as glamorous or something or some like, oh, well, you want to be doing this. So that means that you'll put yourself through, you know, like ludicrous, uh, over, overly work yourself to a ludicrous degree. Um that, that Tom, do you think just... that's uh, think that's largely down to budget, though? You think that most people, you have to do 15 hours because you can't afford another day in the studio. And I suppose that, that could be transferable to other disciplines across music. I mean, I think so in the studio, uh, but at the same time, I've, I feel like I've got myself in a position now where I'm like, well, if you want to do what you want to do on that budget, then I'm not the person you need to hire for the job generally speaking because i just i'm like i've i've done that i've done like albums in 3 days and things like that and it's like well nobody wins from this mm. and you know they're always the clients that send me a shit email about 6 months later saying oh we weren't happy with the mix or something so send us the the stems so we'll get it done somewhere else by someone better or whatever and you're like well you you fucking you paid me nothing to do it so what do you want me to say you mm. know and and I'm sure it's similar with with tour managing, really. Like everybody wants the best service that they can for as little money as they can possibly pay. Yeah, I think I this, again, this is something that could be construed as quite arrogant. But I think like knowing your worth, even when you first start, mm. knowing like there is a point where you need to say this isn't safe or well, this isn't worth my my time or money doing this. Um, knowing that you can do that and if the person isn't going to accept that, they're probably not someone you want to work with work for long term. Totally. Um, and like, I don't know, with the TMing that I've done, there's always been this temptation to take those like, yeah, like the glamorous jobs. Like, I'm going to get to go and tour South America. It's going to be the worst month of my life, but uh, <laughs> I've got to go to all these places I've never been to before. And that's certainly like a big part of why I took that job. Uh, but some of the acts that I've worked with that I've uh, until recently only ever done like the UK and Europe with and sort of mm, partly just assume that was, I mean, you can, it, it's once you've, this is awful that I'm saying this once you've toured Europe a few times, it gets boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are going to the same venues and it is just driving and you don't get any of the glamour and you don't get to go and see any cool stuff really. And you end up playing these fucking grot box venues in X, town in the middle of nowhere in Germany and you can't even walk to a coffee shop from it and you sort of feel like 
you have to trade that off with taking those glamorous jobs that might be a bit harder. But all of the acts I work with who are nice are now getting to tour places like Russia and I'm getting to go with them. And it's that payoff comes eventually. And the bands are nice and like are not a nightmare on tour are going to stay together. And people are going to keep giving them like the time of day and the gigs because it's, they are a pleasure to work with. So I think just invest in like knowing where to invest your time and where to like, uh, take make compromises is, is real key. <laughs> Eventually, you get to do cool stuff. <laughs> I think it's it's like I, anything. It's like learning through making mistakes and stuff, isn't it? You know, like you, you do fuck things up a lot in the early stages of your career, and I think almost uh, even though it, it's it's easy to look back on that and say it was a really frustrating process to go through. It's also a really important and almost essential process to go through in terms of like defining what you are worth in terms of what you're giving to whoever you're working for or whatever you're doing for yourself, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I, those, those acts that like come in at a really relatively high level and haven't had the chance to make those mistakes. So they're like, you're fixing their mistakes for them and they never realized I made them. <laughs> hopefully they never realize they've made them well maybe it's in their interest to realize that they've made them though john how about that as a conundrum i think that's a uh, a lovely part of the po- uh, podcast to end on i feel like that's rounded everything off quite nicely there john you've kind of rounded everything off you you about you took us on, on a real journey there, <laughs> i wish i'd get a funny one for the end because that <laughs> It just oh, one, yeah, please. I'd forgotten how that story gets. Oh, I, w- I haven't kept one. I wish I had. Oh, oh, oh well. Hold on. Wow. Ending, oh, well. ending with someone losing their fucking legs. Great. <laughs> someone on someone on Twitter said that I, I someone said that I kicked someone in a crowd. Oh yeah, what was that yeah, about? I, saw that. Uh, I think I might have accidentally hit someone in the face with a guitar. Oh wow, that's different. So, isn't it? There's also you, we're all big fans of Art Tangent, I presume. Yes, um, of yeah. course. Yeah. There is a stage manager at Art Tangent who keeps accusing me of threatening to punch him. Really? <laughs> 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 this didn't happen. This is like a completely manufactured accusation. I don't know where it's come from. And what does he? Does this person have like serious beef with you over it, or is it a joke? No, we're we're quite good friends. Oh, right. <laughs> um, oh, but, good. Yeah. yeah would have happened at ATG one, which was a very stressful show, but, um, and not in a funny way. So I'm not going to tell that story. Uh-huh. Um, he, <laughs> a number of years later said, Oh, year one was really stressful. You threatened to punch me. I was like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> but he is absolutely insistent. Aaron. Maybe, is a lot. maybe you've blocked it out, John, as a, a particularly dark memory that you don't, maybe you're not willing to admit that that's a place that you were able to go to. I don't know. Yeah. I was having a sort of lucid, what do you call it? Like a, a mental disconnect. <laughs> yes. Co- cognitive dissonance. Of some, no, that's not right. Cognitive dissonance is like something else. Whatever. Mm. Don't punch guys though, John. Don't do uh, it. I never would. I don't know why this is <laughs> a millstone around my neck. I don't know how many people he's told this story to. That's why I'm going, I'm going public. <laughs> I'm going public right now. It did not happen. Stop the count. Not the cat. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I was trying to get it back to cheerful stuff, but <laughs> there is it, it. There just isn't anything. That's just it. it, it, it doesn't cheerful. exist. It doesn't exist yeah. at all. 
And that's why this podcast exists to not be cheerful, <laughs> to find reasons to be cheerful in the uh, ludicrous and the horrendous. Maybe should maybe we should just have like have a, have a positivity um, episode. What best gigs you've ever done? That'd be rubbish. Well, no, because this podcast's about that. We're, oh, is that's there? not that's not that's not for this podcast, now, mate. Fuck it then. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. Good so, gigs don't exist. Just remember they don't that. exist. Um, John helps. Thank you very much for gracing us with your presence yeah. uh, your beauty and the beauty of your stories <laughs> <laughs> neither of those things are true <laughs> <laughs> except they are for us stories are awful and so am I <laughs> you're not awful John treat yourself be kind to yourself that's that's what I'm saying right do us a favour and, and stop recording so you can tell me who that band was yeah. bye everyone <laughs>